Presentation Skills for Design Students, Episode 6. Hello and welcome to Presentation Skills for Design Students. My name's Christina Canters, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping design students everywhere improve their presentation and communication skills. It doesn't matter if you do industrial design, multimedia, architecture, visual arts, there's something we can all do to become confident, creative communicators. So get ready to take your next presentation to a whole new level. Hi everyone and welcome back. It's episode six and I am so excited for today's episode because I had the pleasure this week of interviewing leading Australian designer and artist Simone Liamon who shares a number of awesome stories and some very thought-provoking ways on how to approach your next presentation. But before we get to the interview, Let's hear this week's story from studio, which is from Dave, who studied architecture at Melbourne University. Take it away, Dave. Hey, Christina. I just wanted to call in with a story from second year studio uh, in architecture. We were given a project to find a process, and we had to represent that process uh, first as a two-dimensional concept and then a textured concept, and then finally as a 3D sculptural version of the concept. So we were paired off and my partner and I did our first two-dimensional presentation and that went really well. So uh, when it came time to the second one, we were actually topping the class and I was a relatively average student, so I was extremely excited to be doing um, particularly well. Uh, so I got all confident by the time it came around to the third, the third presentation. And while I was presenting, um, I noticed some, some of my better friends were, were snickering and watching with real intent and writing something down and laughing to themselves every time um, while I was talking. So I went up to them after the uh, presentation. I said, what was so funny? And they told me that they were actually recording every time I said journey. And I had actually said it 30 or 40 times in the past two presentations. And they just thought it was hilarious. And I'd said, you know, the journey was this and the journey of the process and the journey of the program etc etc and they just thought it was hilarious and I was absolutely mortified and it taught me a really valuable lesson which was to let the work speak for itself sometimes and not necessarily harp on your um, your concept so much so it was really good to learn that early on it was uh, very embarrassing but um, a good lesson thanks that's awesome thanks so much Dave for sharing that story with us I think another lesson we can take from that is there is a benefit to practicing. If you can stand up, practice your presentation and and record it, listen back to yourself, you'll be able to hear how many times you repeat words such as journey or whatever or whatever it is that the, the focus of your presentation is on. So that's a great lesson. Thanks so much, Dave, for that. Now, of course, if you would like to share your story from studio, just head on over to designdrawspeak.com slash story. That's designdrawspeak.com slash story. You just hit the little record button, share your story, and that gets sent straight to me. Or if you've got your phone handy, just record it straight into that and email it to me at christina at designdrawspeak.com. 
I would love to hear your stories. And it's great because we can all learn from them as well. And I hope you've been inspired by all the stories that we've heard so far. And I'm so appreciative to those people who have sent those in. So thank you very much. Alrighty, it's time to meet this week's special guest. This week I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Simone Liamon. Now Simone is one of Australia's leading artists and designers. Her award-winning design work ranges from these incredible lampshades uh, to motorcycle bodysuits to a leather bangle that's made from cricket balls to chairs and, and lift car fit-outs. She, oh, it's just an extremely varied body of work. Simone writes, she speaks, and most recently curated the design component of the Melbourne Now exhibition, which is a showcase of the latest art, architecture, design, performance, and cultural offerings of this amazingly creative city. Oh, I just love Melbourne. Oh, and she also teaches industrial design at RMIT, a very talented and busy woman indeed. Now you can find Simone at simonliamon.com and you can see what's happening at the Melbourne Now exhibition at NGV, that's for the National Gallery of Victoria, so ngv.vic.gov.au. But I will, I'll put a link to both of those websites in the show notes at designdrawspeak.com slash 006. Anyway, let's get into the interview with Simon Liamon. So I'm sitting here in Federation Square with Simon Liamon, who, who is the guest curator of the design component of Melbourne Now, which is a showcase of Melbourne's best designers and, and design work, which is just really exciting. She's just given me a tour around parts of it and it's it's incredible so if you're in Melbourne I highly recommend you get down here and check it out or it's even a, if you're not in Melbourne or you even if you come <laughs> to Melbourne to see it yes you should definitely come down to Melbourne it's on until March I believe now March the 23rd okay thanks so much for joining me today I'm, I really appreciate it it's great to have you on the Pleasure. podcast Pleasure. could you just give us a, a brief background of, of yourself and, and how you got involved with the with sure. this exhibition sure well my my background to summarize I uh, trained in the visual arts, studied sculpture, and after many years of practicing and trying to forge a career as a as a young professional or emerging uh, artist, I returned to another love of mine, which was design. So I studied industrial design, and after spending many years living overseas, I came back to Melbourne and decided that I really wanted to establish an interdisciplinary practice. So. A, a, a practice that really, I guess, enabled a conversation bridging uh, cultural production and commercial production. So I like to think that my practice has been uniquely shaped by, you know, the dialogues of, that we have in Melbourne about art and design. And so my, hence my practice today is, um, is doing things that uh, end up in the gallery, but also working with many clients from many backgrounds whether it be product design or architecture and um, 
basically deliver a broad range of a broad range of work, but really passionate about the dialogues that we to enable dialogues between art and design practice. Mm. Now, Simone, there's there's a game that I like to play with everyone that I interview, and it's called the two things. Yeah. Have you heard of the two things? No. Well, I should have, should have but no, I haven't. What are the two oh, things? Not necessarily. It's look. It's based on the idea that any subject or topic can be summed up to only two things. So there's so when it comes down to it, there's really only two things that you need to know. And everything else is just an application of those two things, or it's just not important. Right. So one that I've found, you may yeah. agree, you may not agree, the two things about creativity. Yeah. Number okay. one, God is in the detail. Right. And number two, the devil is in the detail. Ah, okay. So I would like to ask you, in your opinion, what are the two things about Melbourne designers? Okay. All right. So if you could sum them up in just two sure. things. Or Melbourne design. Melbourne design. Attitude. I really believe that um, you know, Melbourne design that we're looking at, or which is asking us to look at it, um, has arrived through an attitude. And that might be an attitude that's been formed through an opinion or a conversation through a rigorous kind of grappling with a with a particular subject, but I really, I, rather than say it's it's critical, I'd, I'd say it's an attitude. Yeah. Okay. The other thing about Melbourne design, I would say um, can do. I think Melbourne designers show a great can do. Once again, attitude. They're sort of, for a large part, incredibly motivated. And I think for all of the challenges we have in this region, especially with perhaps production, presentation, promotion, I think the enormous activity and, and just wealth of, of design that we have is a, a great display or demonstration of just can do I think regardless sometimes regardless of whether there's a, a market or whether there's even a space for presentation designers just are, um, don't hold back in perhaps expressing themselves or you know pursue a great idea <laughs> I like the two things attitude and can do yeah. a very positive approach yeah so you're a tutor at RMIT University doing industrial design. Yeah. Can you tell me about what are the students like? How are they? How do they go with presenting their designs? I guess industrial in industrial design presentation is a mainstay, but we don't necessarily frame them or lead with a great deal of anxiety around the presentation. It's more an it's op- opportunity to communicate you know, your intention, so what your design intention was, how you negotiated the design process, and shed light on why you arrived at that design outcome. So I will often say to the students, it's a form of storytelling. Sometimes you need to know where to start, and you need to know where to finish, and, and, and in between, don't, don't get too sidetracked. Always think about what is the message that you want to convey. I think a lot of a lot of anxiety around presentations is created, especially within the student body, because they don't necessarily know what it is that they're supposed to be communicating. 
certainly presentations are not a substitute for the work. They are about bringing added value to the presentation of the design project. And I often think that, you know, the best way to communicate is not about leading with a great deal of jargon and it's not an opportunity to flex your intellectual muscle. It's an opportunity to engage with other human beings and work to deliver a compelling story about why this design has a right to exist or why you chose to invest a significant amount of time, energy and heart in this design project. So I think if you can communicate why it's meaningful to you, you know, to oneself to work on, it becomes incredibly, you know, people... can become engaged and enthused by that because they see your commitment to your project. So I often say to the students, presentation is an opportunity for you to get up and tell us the story of the work. Tell us the story of why it is that you went on this journey. That said, give yourself some limitations or or put some convention around it so that you understand that you have to deliver something um, within a, a specified amount of time. And it's also something that, you know, you also, to a degree, rehearse or it's something that that you have to get up there and feel confident yourself. And in order to sell something, you need to feel confident about your material and yourself and and why, why you're speaking about it. And so I think by the time the students get to their fourth and their fifth year, especially if I've played a role in, in their, their education over the years, they become they become far more relaxed and I wouldn't say they're naturals but they understand the role and so there's not that anxiety around it and um, if anything, you know, they look forward to presentations because they can't wait to share with everybody you know, the great. conclusions that they've attitude. come to about the work. What's, yeah. the, what's the main thing do you find that students struggle with when putting together and delivering a presentation? Oh, Self, I think, incredibly self-conscious, and I, and I think that's often because if I think if you're unsure of your material, if you're unsure of yourself, if you're unsure of your design project, it's then very hard to get up and sell it. And I don't mean sell it, you know, in, a, in the traditional sense. I mean just try to communicate it. Well, convincing the, your audience yeah. that your design is a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's also a fine line too because certainly with presentations um, in the university, you're presenting for feedback, often for critique. And so, you know, there's a fine line between getting up and selling something saying, this is so great, and giving an honest account um, of your creative process and also being able to show a degree of vulnerability to say well look to be quite honest I really had to commit to this part of the project because it was taking me in a direction I was quite unsure of however you know it led to led to this outcome and I can honestly say I have learned something from this so look I I think with a presentation in view of a university context, you've got to remind yourself who the audience is, so what's the whole purpose of the presentation, and, and ask yourself, well, you know, if I was if I was the lecturer, or if I was a member of the, the panel, what, what, what would I like to hear about a project? So I, I often think it often helps to put yourself 
in the other person's position when you are going to give a presentation because it's it's almost like it's a bit of a reality check about why you're there and, and what the whole purpose of a presentation yep. is. Yeah. That's great advice. I love yeah. I love the idea of asking why. Yeah. Because if you can project your passion yeah. through that, that's just infectious and people will just... It is. And believe me, there is nothing more boring or mind-numbing than sitting through 20, 30 presentations <laughs> where each student just gets up and kind of, without any heart or without any enthusiasm, just reads off cue cards. Or basically, you know, is 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 rambling off a whole heap of like prepared lines that you feel as the as the lecturer, they're telling you what you want what you want to hear, but they're not telling you anything of their journey, of their process, of their design project. And I've often thought that perhaps, you know, if I took away the title of the project, but I recorded many of the presentations and played them back to back to back. You know, it's very hard to differentiate one from the other because they often actually don't tell you very much about the project at all. They just kind of tell you perhaps what you want to hear and that might be that they followed the brief or they followed the, the creative process by rote that you that you sort of delivered or suggested, but they don't actually tell you anything about the design work or the design project. And as a student, as, a, as an emerging designer... Whatever you do is the result of your own work. And so I think it's really important when you give a presentation to acknowledge that you are present in the work. So speak from the first person. Don't speak from the third person when you are giving a presentation. But I think that's hard because you have to have a degree of, of confidence in oneself. But I think confidence arrives also by becoming extremely familiar with what you're doing, investing some time in rehearsing, understanding your material, so that you can get up and you can be a little bit more natural about it. Because I often think that the best storytelling arrives when ultimately the presenter is really natural. Mm. So moving on from university presentations, how do those skills and being able to present to your fellow students, to your tutors, Mm. teachers, lecturers... How does that then translate into the real world when you are presenting to clients, consultants, other yeah. designers? Well, look, that's really interesting because I don't, I don't think of them as presentations. I see them as an opportunity to talk about a project or an opportunity to share some news or share a wonderful story or because I guess I the reason why I, I put my hand up to speak, to give presentations is because I'm really, I sort of find it fairly irresistible to share with people what I am learning or what I've learned or what I've observed or the people that I've come across or, you know, the engagement that I've had with other practitioners or other designers. So I love that. I love that, that, that whole view of looking at the presentation as more of an opportunity to share something rather than saying oh I've got to present this and seeing it as this you know horrendous thing that you have to do you know it's interesting because I have lots of peers and lots of friends who always say oh I have to give a presentation and I and I often go well yeah but why are you moaning about it this is a great opportunity who's the audience who are you speaking to well that'd be fantastic I mean 
Last week, for example, I gave a presentation or a talk here at the National Gallery of Victoria to the Historical Furniture Society. Now, I had never heard of this particular interest group around furniture, and they contacted the gallery and said, I believe that you have some furniture and object design as part of Melbourne now. Could somebody give us a talk? So the gallery contacted me and said, Simone, you know, there's about 40, 50 members. Would you be happy to talk to them? I said, of course I would, of course. And I spoke to the president. And, you know, these are all avid collectors of really amazing furniture. But they know very little about contemporary furniture. So I thought, all right, this is an opportunity then to, you know, speak and perhaps introduce people who are already passionately engaged with furniture to furniture that we're making now and perhaps they might become sufficiently interested, engaged themselves that they might actually start to collect and support all the contemporary furniture designers out there. So I guess often when I give a a talk or presentation, I ask myself what could be the best possible outcome if I can introduce people to you know, ideas or events or occasions or concepts or in this case work that then can bring about some, I guess, lasting or can have, you know, reverberations of some sort. I take that on board and I go, wow, that's a great day. And so in this case it was fascinating because um, the amount of uh, emails and telephone calls I've had afterwards from the people who were part of this membership group saying, wow, Simone, had no idea that contemporary furniture was so interesting. You know, we always look at historical furniture and antique furniture because we can quite clearly see the stories in it. But the reality was that they did not have the tools to understand how do you read contemporary design. And so the, the, the talk went for about an hour and a half and it was just really fantastic. And, and so, yeah, look, I think you have to see any presentation as an opportunity to either impart some knowledge, perhaps, you know, bring people along on your journey and get them excited about what you're doing. I think simply at, at the end of the day, people either perhaps want to be entertained or they want to be told something new. And I often, I often say, what can I tell people that the, something that they don't know? Yeah, because I know conversations that I have with other people, I'm always saying, you know, tell me what I don't know or um, tell me why you think that way. And I think presentations really are just a form of conversation, but often, you know, one person's doing most of the talking, but everybody sitting in the audience is engaged in a conversation with you. It's just not audible. You know, they're always responding and thinking about what you're saying. They're just not, you know, it's just not audible. They're not articulating it. But I think it, it's wrong to think that you're not in a conversation with... No, because you know, every form of communication is a, is a two-way street, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. even if you're presenting to a group, you're still getting feedback yeah. from them, from yeah. their body language, from how they're watching you, and you can still gauge that. So yeah. you're still, yeah. you are still having that conversation, essentially, yeah. with yeah. them. Yeah, another thing I like to do is I like to find the face in the crowd where there's the meanest frown and I usually sometimes take it on board as a bit of a personal challenge by the end of my talk I'm going to have that person smiling <laughs> I love that and, uh, and, and um, because when you give a presentation certainly one that say you've written a paper for and you've really spent a lot of time on and I certainly do a lot of those presentations and that's perhaps when I'm a little bit 
less confident in view of the the audience or perhaps it's a really big audience and I think well then this is a really big opportunity and I want to make sure that I stay on message and I do have a habit of getting very excited and diverting a little bit so I'll often prepare but a couple of weeks ago I did give another presentation to the donors and and benefactors here at the gallery and I had to uh, do it without a script and I thought to myself, you know, I'm probably going to have a lot of people in the audience that are going to be looking very straight-faced. So I thought, well, what's the most entertaining thing I could talk about and in view of the design collection? And I thought, well, how about the power tools and the esky? Because I knew that they were very unlikely objects to talk about because there are so many beautiful pieces of furniture. And I thought, no, I want to talk about power tools and an esky and remind everybody in the audience why these two objects, we should be looking at these two objects. And I did focus on one person, and I think about 25 minutes into the talk, I turned around and they had a little smile on their face. So I kind of thought, yes, yes. Well, that's what happens when you add an element of surprise into your presentation, where you do something unexpected. Yeah. That's something that I've spoken about before on, on the podcast about how you can stand out from the crowd and and be more memorable. Well, it, it reminds me of a story that my father actually told me when he was a young architect and he was going for one of his very first jobs. He walked into the waiting room where, you know, everybody else was waiting for their interview and everybody's wearing the same well-cut suit, the same nice shoes, everybody was clean-shaven with the same hair and he sort of said, thought to himself, well, how on earth are they going to remember me in amongst, you know, all of the the other nice men sitting in the room? And so he went outside and there was a fruit stall and he bought a watermelon. I like where <laughs> and, this is going. <laughs> and went back in and sat there with the watermelon. And so when he had his interview, took the watermelon in and just put the watermelon on the desk. And the interview went really, really well and nobody spoke about the watermelon and then right at the end of the interview one of the directors said so what's with the watermelon (laughs) and he said so you would remember me and I often tell people that we don't have to walk in with the MacGuffin with the proverbial watermelon but we do need to think how can we differentiate or How can we excite and engage people so that it's memorable? And I often think you do that with sentiment. So you can even do it by trying to, you know, reach out to people on sort of an emotional level or on on an intellectual level. But, yeah, you you need to understand who your audience is and then you... you, you What drives them, what motivates them and what what they would respond to. Yeah, yeah, because, look, quite frankly, I think... When, with any presentation or any talk, if you're not doing that, you're not respecting your audience. I think you should always, always think of these people have given up their time. If they've bought a ticket, they've paid to come and hear you speak. And, yeah, I think being respectful of the occasion is the, well, how then do I give these people my best? And can I give them best by speaking theory to them or do I give them best by just speaking um, on a really human level about what what drives me or 
what's driven the project. Because I think ultimately at the end of the day, people just want um, authenticity. And I think that's why people go to hear people speak in the flesh, because it's it's one of the few occasions where you can actually come into contact with that authentic delivery. Um, and people connect with people. Yeah. They don't connect with theory. Yeah. They connect with the person and the yeah. story that they're telling. Yeah. I think I read somewhere recently that communication, only about something like 7% of it is, is, is audible. The majority of communication between people is um, non-verbal. And certainly in the online world where you look at different platforms and different websites and even different softwares, you know, the ones that I really take to and love using are the ones which are far less didactic and far less instructional because they take their cues and understand that communication, you know, is is something which is far more subtle then look at this, do this, see this. Are you giving any presentations here at the NGV? The, any public ones that we could come and yeah, see you yeah, speak? Yeah, constantly. I think in the last week I've given seven talks. Wow. I think between now and the end of March I have at least another 15 to 20 programmed in. But the best the best thing to do is to go to the NGV website. Okay. And I'll, to, put a link, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well for everyone yeah. listening. And go to the public programs and every single day there is a presentation by one of the designers and that'll also have a list of yeah, when I'll be giving my speaking. So I think I've got, there's a floor talk on the collection every Friday evening throughout February and March, but I think if you go to the website, you'll be able to okay. see all the dates. Sure, fantastic. I just want to ask you real quick, who's the most memorable designer you've seen present? Ah, Philippe Stark. And I I should actually preface, I didn't see him present in the flesh. It's his TED Talk. Is that the one that he does without any slides? Yes. And he gets up there and he paces around. Yes. It's it's hilarious. It's really engaging. It it is, but what really struck me about that presentation was I saw a designer who was grappling with his own legacy, grappling with really who he is as a designer in a context where people get up on stage and talk about great things, talk about really big big ideas. And I'd met Philippe Stark, I think, five years previous, you know, and in amongst a lot of hoopla, you know, he is, of course, you know, mega superstar. But I met him when he was starting to get more interested in sustainability issues. And I have a little project, which is, um, you know, a pair of, well, humble bangles made out of cricketball waste called Bowling Arm. And I, through circumstance, had been introduced to him and I gave him a set. And ever since then, I get a Christmas card from him. So I, I, I don't, or probably secretary or somebody in the office, but I like to think I have a little connection. But when I gave them to him, he went into a very long monologue about how he was going through a personal journey of exploring design in a different way, and it was very much about looking at eco-design principles. And I remember leaving that meeting, going, "Wow, he really surprised me." So when I saw that TED Talk, I guess 
reflecting on my meeting with him and the Christmas cards that I've received over the years, I saw somebody who was genuinely try use the occasion to present their vulnerable side or to present a very honest account of, look, yes, I'm a famous designer and, yes, I've made a lot of money and, yes, I've designed toothbrushes for Target and sexy buildings for so-and-so, but really, what does it all mean? And when he did that, um, the imitation of the ape growing into a human being and then talking about all these things, I, I just thought it was a fantastic presentation because it really resonated and I thought... There would have been many people in the audience and I think many designers and creatives around the world that would have watched that and I think in some way got the message that design and creative practice at the end of the day isn't about ego, it's not about fame, it's not about sexy stuff, it's really about, you know, what can we propose or what can we deliver to the world in the company of some meaning and I think here Stark was questioning the meaning perhaps a lot of a lot of production a lot of what he's done so I think that's why it will forever be memorable but of course there are many 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 but that's the one that just comes to mind immediately yeah I I I do remember that video and it was very very engaging very entertaining so I'll also put a link to that so people can go check out that video Look, it's been so great chatting to you, Simone. If people want to find out more about you and what you do and check out some of your yeah. amazing designs, where, where can they where can they go? Well, easy, go to the website, which is just simonleamon.com. And of course if you're in Melbourne, come down to National Gallery of Victoria at the Ian Potter Centre and see the design wall, Design for Everyday Life. And yeah, so we were looking at that before and that's just incredible. Yeah, you got to get down here to, yeah. uh, down to Federation Square. Yeah, yeah. And come down to the gallery. I, I think that would be the best. And I believe, I believe you, you have a bit of a Twitter following as well. Oh, look, yes. I'm, I, uh, How do we find you I, on Twitter, Simone? <laughs> I'm going to start well, following I, you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just Simone Leamon. Okay. Very, very easy to find on Twitter. Very easy. But uh, I have just started, so go easy with me. I'm, I think I've only got five tweets. I, I promise to start tweeting more often, but, yeah, I'm just getting into it. Okay. It's only been two days. <laughs> well, it's been great chatting to you, Simone, and you, you've shared some amazing advice and, and insights. So thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And, uh, thank you. And I've, I've really enjoyed the exhibition, and I hope it's a great success. Great. Thank you. How inspiring and passionate is Simone? I learnt so much from this chat with her and I truly hope that you did too. Now, your challenge of the week is buy a watermelon. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) You You know, really. Your challenge this week. Now, when you're out and about, find someone who looks grumpy and see if you can make them smile. Simone mentioned that she makes it a personal challenge of hers in each presentation that she gives to make the person with the biggest frown in the room smile. So this week, I challenge you to do the same and make someone's day just a little bit brighter. It is Christmas after all. Now for show notes, visit designdrawspeak.com slash 006. And while you're there, I would love it if you could follow the link to iTunes where you can subscribe to the podcast. And of course, I would be very appreciative if you could leave a five-star rating in iTunes 
It just helps the podcast get discovered by more awesome people. Anyway, I hope you have a fabulous day. This has been Presentation Skills for Design Students, helping you become a confident, creative communicator.